0: I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial.
1: This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Green Rope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Frescott, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Theaters.
0: All right. If you are looking for a really great one day workshop that will bring together your executive team along with your emerging leadership in a fun and exciting and new way, look no further than the one day workshop of high level wisdom. It's a time where we help you build out the knowledge roadmap, understand your succession planning and more importantly, help you understand how the best go about keeping their institutional knowledge. If you want more information, feel free. Let's have a free 20 minute consultation on me right now. Send us an email. Chris at HighLevelWisdom.com for more information. Hey, CEOs and executives, I know how it is. You're constantly working because your business is big now on so much of the present. You don't have time to think about the future. Well, I've got some people that can really help you out make real great fortunate discoveries for your business right now. I'm talking about Serendipity Interactive, of course. Why don't you go to their website, www.serendipityinteractive.com. They are the leading company to be able to help you make fortunate discoveries about your future, bringing your marketing and technology teams together to be able to truly work out what is necessary for your company to take the leaps it needs to go forward. Go to www.serendipityinteractive.com today and tell them Chris from High Level Wisdom sent you. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome to part two of my interview with the CEO of Higher Clout, Avidus. Now, if you have not had an opportunity to go and listen to the fascinating first part of our interview which released last Tuesday. Listen, go back right now. Listen to that, because if you start right here in the middle, you're going to be clamoring for more. And I want to make sure that you've got all the context and the understanding you need. So in this part of our interview, we really dive into the way his company works, the way he thinks. And more importantly, if you're trying to get to the place of becoming that top tier, really searched for and sought after executive, this is the interview that you want to listen to So take a part, take time, take notes to whatever you need to do. Replay this several times. Make sure you listen right now to part two of my interview with Avitas, the CEO of Higher Cloud. Let's switch gears here. We, we've talked a lot about uh, emerging leaders and kind of that perspective. I, I want you to put back on your CEO hat and let's kind of talk about. Um, what, what has it been like that you've noticed maybe some ah ahas that you have had when working with a baby boomer, because not only are you working with them inside of your company, but you're also, you know, you're recruiting for them. Right. They're uh, coming to you as leaders inside of companies and they have a particular look that they're looking for. And when, when you're when you're placing, you know, a, a baby boomer in a role or you're interacting, what, what are some of those things that you just kind of notice that you go, you know, yeah, this this tends to be something that that is easier um, or are things that we highlight when when working with the more uh, with a more seasoned person from a career perspective?
1: Well, you know, the biggest thing you'll get working with a baby boomer, working with for, you know, whatever you want to call it, is they, they believe in tenure. They believe in putting in the time and effort to make something work, right? They're usually not going to be the people that run away every time something isn't perfect, right? It's a very tough generation. They've dealt with a lot, so they're less you know, they're, they're, they're much harder to freak out, right? Absolutely. They've got a lot, a lot of industry expertise. And you might, you know, sometimes you'll poo-poo someone, is like, what do you know about technology? But it's not their knowledge of technology that's supposed to be impressive. It, it's what they've seen, the giant survey that they have. Uh, they're terrific mentors. I realize that they can be great mentors and leaders And at times they're less judgmental and more patient with millennials because a lot of times they actually uh, have children that are millennials. Absolutely, absolutely. So that kind of creates an interesting scenario. You talk about you know folks that are you know they're they're uh, they're humble. They're willing to you know they've got this amazing experience. They got this tenure. They've got long-term insight, uh, yet they're patient and not frustrated easily with, with the younger generation. So that's a huge gap we have, right? You've got all these companies that are built on 20, 30, 40, you know, 20, 20 and 30-year-olds, and that's wonderful. That's a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of flexibility. But if you're lacking that maturity that this generation brings, you have gaps in your game. And I think these guys are tremendous at, 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 at kind of bridging that gap and being able to mentor and train and, and, and just being a voice and listening, not necessarily as, as CEOs. So I've noticed that that's one. Uh, two, that they communicate very differently. Uh, this generation it will pick up the phone and, and, and spend time with you. They're not always in a rush. They're not multitasking all the time. And sometimes you're going to send an email and you're not going to get a response and you're frustrated. And All you've got to do is just walk over and say, hey, did you see that email? No. No. Well, what do you mean you didn't see it? I don't check my email. (laughs) All right. So, you know, I feel like that's, that's the, if any aha moment is understanding what a big gap there is in communication styles.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, I think you hit kind of hit the nail on the head is that, um, uh, I I had a, a previous interview, uh, who was on and one of the things that she mentioned was that, uh, and admission as a as a millennial influencer, <laughs> she did. She did admit that uh, technology has kind of been the gift and the curse because it's created in a, uh in a uh, speed of immediacy and it hurts communication. So to your point, you know, you sent an email and five minutes later, you're walking in the office like, hey, did you see my email? And they're like, no, I didn't. I. <laughs> I'm still focused right. on the task I've been on. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, absolutely. I think those are, those are, those, but those are what I would consider um, very important things. When you start talking, uh, talking about how to understand someone, right. Mm-hmm. Understanding what makes them take understanding um, best ways to relate, right. To people. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things that, uh, it gets lost in a lot of our, our conversations sometimes that I that I, I tend to want to pump the brakes and talk about is. Much of what is most important in most careers is how you how well you relate to people, um, how well can you quickly understand um, what someone is truly asking for, meeting that need in a way that they understand it. And that's what gets you the the best performance out of a person. Um, I think when we do these kind of uh, jack of all trades scenarios. Or we push people through a pipeline and think, well, everybody's got to conform to this or otherwise it's not going to work. You end up missing the, the the human element of of the process. How are you keeping a very human touch? Uh, with 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 the uh, recruiting process that you have inside of your organization, so that every single person, whether it's the client coming to you asking for a request or the the executive that you're getting ready to send out uh, as a potential candidate, how are you keeping that human element and feel inside of what you do?
1: That's a terrific question. Um, so outside of our organization. Um, the, the easiest way we've found to keep the human element, uh, and it surprises people when they join our company, is we still meet people. So, as technology has emerged, more and more firms will find themselves sending emails. Um, I've, had, I've interviewed folks that have supposedly succeeded working for a firm that had a process against meeting people that, oh, no, no, we don't meet people. And we have a complete reverse mindset. And at first it takes people a while to understand, what do you mean you want me to you want me to drive all the way to Santa Monica in traffic and then get stuck there and just to meet this guy? And but once they understand that once you become more than an email address, more than a voice, you're a person, you can make true connections, and vice versa, right? The folks that you're meeting have to be more than Resumes and pieces of paper, sure. and the client be more than to, you know, you know dollar signs. Once you understand, everybody's human. There's a reason behind their why. There was a reason they left these jobs. There's a reason they need certain things. Uh, you know, there's a reason they will leave their job, or you're wasting your time. Uh, and just connecting with them, you know, really understanding what they're about, what drives them. Do they have a family? Why is this raise so important to them? Why do they care about a big title? Why do they not care? Why do this company keep recycling talent? Why do they lose so many people? Can wow. we change that? Very good. You know, you know just, just watching their body language and, and, you know, do they have their arms crossed? Or are they open to feedback? Are they, are they good managers or do they need help with that? So that's the simplest way we've done it. In our office, the way we've done it is we have a huge open bullpen. Um, a couple of us have offices, the rest of the organization sits in a big kind of open bullpen that allows for open uh, communication. My door is always open at least 90% of the time. Um, everybody is, is, can pop in and out and ask questions um, and communicates in a full transparency, no BS, no nonsense. Uh, it doesn't have to be pretty to speak your mind. Go to lunch together. Have drinks after work. Don't run out of here at five oh one just because you, you think you need to. Um, just just enjoy being around each other. Enjoy the process. Be people. You know what I mean. That's be right. How about that? Be people. Yeah. <laughs> You'd, so, be You'd be shocked. I have I have sixty, you know, fifty eight year olds that are hanging out with twenty four year olds and really enjoying themselves and and like each other. That's Truly right. like each other.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So earlier you mentioned something that I think I want to circle back to. And I I, I, I'd like for you to kind of uh, explain a little more. You talked about you have clients that are geographically changing their footprint, which is in turn changed your footprint because you are growing organically with your clients. What does that do to the process that you're going through when when looking for new talent? Because I would imagine that for most people, right, especially when you're talking about an executive role, uh, it's no different than real estate location, location, location. Right. But really? but for companies and this is just some insight for some people who may not understand this all the way fully, is that a lot of times you hear about a company, and you say, why would that company be in that remote part of town or why would they move to that area and not be in this big city? Or what is the the allure for that? A lot of it is it's cheaper. If I <laughs> boiled it all down, I mean, just, you know, just to help our audience here, sometimes it's just cheaper. There's there's other little things and ideas, but. For the most part, it's just cheaper. But how you know how how is that starting to play out in the way you go about um, talking with particular recruits, um, talking with people who may be looking to make a change, and you might see a good fit, but you go, "Whoa, they're in Lubbock, Texas," you know, <laughs> and you know you're not really sure you know if it's going to be a good marriage. How how is some of that geographic? nature of how your companies, uh, your clients are growing, impacting the way you go about your
1: process? So there's a couple, couple challenges. It's going to, it's going to create right off the bat. If, if we're covering a market that we're physically not in yet, that's going to take away from our ability to have that human factor that we swear by, right? Our bread and butter, our human factor that you just spoke about, you and I spoke about if we're covering let's say Texas and we don't have a physical office for another year there that's going to create a challenge doing just that right uh, there's a difference between getting in the car and going to every client site and walking around and or meeting a candidate it's another if they're 400 miles away so or you know more 2 3000 miles away so for us it creates that that factor it creates that challenge right off the bat that we can't do it the way we'd like to but technology has made it where we can have a Skype call, a go-to call, right? And we can do about half of what we'd like to do during that conversation um, That's one. As far as the companies, why they do it, it depends, right? So the, San Francisco is kind of the, the the hotspot for technology startups. Uh, L.A. is media technology. Texas is where it, it's cheap. So a lot of companies are incentivized to move to Texas. Florida now, I'm hearing, has got some tremendous... Um, incentives to move operations to to Florida so basically what we have to do is we, we have to do a great job at understanding if someone is is not open to moving to a location but truly able, willing to move there and is going to be happier. so if you've got a guy that thinks they're moving to Los Angeles and they live in Idaho and they're earning you know 80,000 in Idaho and they want. Hundred ninety thousand in L.A. <clears throat> Our job is to make sure they understand that that's not going to happen. One, or on the reverse, if they think they can make it here off of a ninety K salary like they did in Idaho, that th- they might be mistaken, right? There's going to be some right. gaps there. So right. we educate. Them. We have to let them know. Listen, you've been used to living off of this budget, and now you're moving to Los Angeles, or reversed. Hey, listen, you're telling me you're going to move from beautiful Los Angeles to Plano, Texas, nothing wrong with Plano, Texas, but it's flat, it's hot, um, are you sure you're going to be happy there? You know, hey, you live in, you know, in, you know, near, uh, you know, Atlanta in, in Georgia and you live on five acres, you're going to move out here and live in a condo, are you sure you're going to be happy long term? So we really have to think about and push them to, to really dig deep to figure out if this is going to, not that will you take the job or not? this is deeper than that is are you gonna take the job? are you gonna show up? are you gonna stay? are you gonna do a great job? are you gonna be happy here you know at the end of the day if not what what are we doing right
0: right absolutely yeah and and I, yeah absolutely because i I think sometimes um i, I and it's no different than if you you know look at a map of a hundred years you, if you just span that from one to a 100 years, you notice most people move closer to the water. Um, I think the same thing is happening with the more you know, technology increases, the more uh, opportunities that land is cheaper. As you mentioned, some companies are incentivized to move to certain areas. So guess what? There's going to be more companies moving to those areas because it's cheaper, which also means that uh, from a talent pool perspective, you know, you as a as a person looking to be as an executive or, you know, moving as an executive have to factor in, am I okay with maybe moving to some of these Uh, other cities that are not necessarily your your standard, uh, you know, bread and butter cities that most people can find some sort of uh, 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 lifestyle accommodations that you're always looking for. Um, A good example is I had a good conversation with a guy who uh, has been in Duluth, Minnesota uh, (laughs) for 15 to 16 years. And I remember when we met several years ago, of course, you know, my first question was, how in the world did you stay in Duluth, Minnesota? And if for any of our listeners who have no idea where that is, just go Google it. It is literally bordering Canada. So (laughs) so, it was why it was very simple for him. His answer was, listen, um, you know, I moved here for this company. Um, This company has treated me well. Um, there has been times, yes, I have wanted to leave. We have wanted to move. But, um, for what I, for what I'm, what I'm offered for what I get, the growth opportunities I've had over 15 years and, um, there's, there's, you know, with this company, there's no other place for me to be able to move and still be able to do the type of job that I like to do. So for him, he kind of, you know, omitted a little geography, right? (laughs) Um, uh, but for some people they'll never move to Duluth. They don't care how great the, you know, the role and the whatever the perks are, right? They're just not going to move to Duluth, Minnesota. Um, sure. But, you know, who, who knows? I, I would almost imagine that, you know, between travel and some of these other things, I think we're probably going to start to see a even much more of a shift of of um, how things look. And as you mentioned, right, if Florida starts to become a, a nice place where companies are being incentivized to, to put their companies, you'll see more, you know, more people moving to those areas and fighting for those jobs. A couple of other questions I want I wanted to really get to here. So when you when you are working with companies and they come to you, what are some of the common things that companies are coming to you with when they say we need an executive of this and we're looking for X? What are some of those kind of common things that you see that? that are, that are, um, I guess I would say more, uh, more as a part of just today's world when it comes to looking for great talent that probably wasn't there maybe 15, 20 years ago.
1: Wow. So you're asking if what they're asking now more than they did a few years ago. Absolutely. Ah, wow. So I think, I mean, the, the biggest difference is, is that Technology is moving so quickly that 10 years ago, only technology folks were required to know technology, right? And everyone else did what they did. I think you're seeing more and more companies become either tech companies or being tech-driven companies or absolutely utilize every technology you can think of to function. So what ends up happening is your product managers have to be, Technical. Your business analysts have to be technical now. Your marketing folks have to be technical. Eventually, you know, your admin person has to be fairly technical to understand the jargon. Um, and so you're seeing a change in in who's required to have technological experience and knowledge base, right? People, I mean, 25 year olds are now taking boot camp classes to learn how to code, even though their jobs have nothing to do with coding. Sure. So that's one big shift um, that folks are looking for. Uh, Flexibility. Companies are looking for flexibility too as they start moving around, like you mentioned, right? So folks want to know that you're not you're not tied to a specific product that the company could change products, technologies that you'll shift with them, right? So if hey, if we're in Torrance today, we might move to Texas, we might move to New York, are you going to be up for that? If, especially at an executive level, not at a kind of a uh, lower level person. Um, they're going to want to know if, if we change applicant tracking systems that you're going to be able to learn the new one very quickly. We're going to change our, uh, our payroll system. Are you going to be able to keep up? We're going to need to constantly evolve Uh, Everything that was done on an Excel spreadsheet no longer will be done in an Excel spreadsheet. It's now all Tableau. It's all some kind of data visualization tool that's done online. Uh, So everybody's required to be able to be at least a super user of products that are technology-driven. I think that's really the biggest difference that we see. And remember, 95% of what we do is tech, right? Software engineers, software architects, directors, CIO, CTO. So my angle is a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know if bias is the right word, but it's a little twisted because it's, it's mostly tech anyway. But I realize that the five percent of non-technical roles that we fill, they're required to really know technology very well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So last question here
0: before we wrap up. And, and there's so many different angles I could really take with this conversation because you brought up some Really great perspective um, for our audience. Give me give me an an idea of what what the future you see of 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 the executive world is going to look like five or 10 years from now. What kind of things are you either excited to see coming down the pike? What what is that? What does that future state look like as you're. As you're continuing to work with these amazing companies, I mean, you know, some of these companies are c- clearly on the forefront of of everything, you know, uh, that the rest of the world will follow, too. But from an executive perspective, when you look at just the the executive landscape, what does the future of that look like as more emerging young leaders take the helm of companies and become those executives and those CEOs?
1: What do you see? Um, that's a tough question. I believe that people are going to be required to be more and more hands-on. Um, even as a, as a vice president of engineering or a CTO, companies expect someone to be able to roll up their sleeves and be able to, to function, to be able to, to, to do what you're asking others to do. I believe companies are flattening out, so you're going to see less hierarchy. You're going to see less decisions coming from the top down, more from the bottom up. So folks are going to have to be okay with that. They're going to have to be able to shift. Uh, you know, they have to be flexible. People have to, be, have to very quickly learn how to pivot uh, in their positions, wear multiple hats. And if you want to grow, don't be too tied to a a piece of the job that you love and are obsessed with doing. Move around and different do different roles because at the end of the day, that's how you're going to really emerge as a true leader in a company because they know anywhere they put you, you will find a way to do the job and you will succeed and you will grow and you won't say no to doing anything. I think that's a big one, right? And you're going to see less and less VPs and directors. You're going to have a big gap between level I mean I, I think mid-level management is going to be dying I don't see a lot of layers uh, with these companies you Interesting. know mentioned the, right think about that I mean I've seen less and less software development managers than ever you know and just because companies are saying why do I need to, to pay so much money for these mid-level management folks who don't who can't you know do the actual function because they're no longer hands-on yet aren't true executives. So why are we paying all this money for for this suite? So you're going to see a lot of kind of team lead level, and then you're going to see VPs and C-level executives. You're not going to see a ton of directors and managers, I think. Uh, That's one I see. And I talked about pivoting. I mean, Amazon just acquired, um, what is it, Whole Foods. Yes. You know, within a year, you will see Whole Foods acting like a tech company. I mean, you know, Starbucks considers themselves a tech company. McDonald's just hired the digital, uh, the chief digital officer from Amazon, I believe, so that they can turn McDonald's into what they call a tech company. So you've got to be ready. You've got to be ready to pivot in your positions and your roles, and you've got you to be comfortable taking a half step back to take three steps forward. Um, You have to be ready to take a a less sexy big title. Um, You're going to you got to be ready to take some risks and go to a startup, you know, and change your career a little bit. So so that's that's just kind of my opinion. Right.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, so you touched on something that I've 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 talked with several CEOs about this. And at some point, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to have people like yourself and a couple other executives. We're going to do a panel about. I I'm writing an article on this. I haven't finished it yet, but I I really want to talk about is the state of the mid-level manager dying. I, I just, I have some, yeah, I have some very strong opinions about that. And I think I'm starting to just, the more I talk to people and the more I talk to executives and the more I look at companies, I just personally feel like, like you mentioned, you know, that I, I think it is going away. And to be honest, it's really scaring a lot of people. And H.R. execs have to kind of figure out what do we do with this big, you know, what some companies call the frozen middle of their company, because they're not they're not really doers and they're not executioners. So what you know, what do we do with those folks? But that's it. I think I'm going to have to bring you back for that conversation. So um <laughs> hey. Yeah, I think I think it's just a I think it's a fascinating discussion that we need to really do open up, um, and and figure out you know and, and talk about that in, in an open dialogue. So, for for the executive who might be listening to this show today, I think you've touched on a lot of things that might pique their interest. Give some of those executives a little bit of advice uh, as we end this this conversation today. What are some steps that Let's just say they're they're listening to this and they're going, you know what it is. Yeah, actually, I am looking to make a change right now. I, I've been in my company for a while and, you know, I, I want to make a change as an executive. Give 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 that executive a couple of quick steps, some things that they should do right now as they're as they're thinking about it. And, and, and what would be some of the things that from a higher cloud perspective you guys would would offer them?
1: Sure. Sure. So I would say, first things first, do some soul searching. Uh, don't, you know, leaving is not always the answer. Maybe what you do is you take a little bit of time, uh, think about what you're really trying to accomplish, what's negotiable, what's a, uh, a must-have in your life, right? Really sit down and talk to your, your, your wife, talk to your kids, figure out what you're trying to accomplish. Are you? If this happens, are you really ready to make a move? You've worked for this company for nine years and you've got a great boss. Are you really ready to go in there and resign? So first do some soul searching. Um, and if there's some challenges, some problems, like the ones I had at Kaplan where I felt like there was a ceiling and there was no more room to growth and you know, starting to get stale, I did go and speak to, to my boss. I did speak to the two, three levels above me, and they tried. They tried to solve the issue. At the end, I was comfortable knowing that I'd done everything uh, and I wasn't going to grow anymore, and I moved on. But I think that's important too, you know. And, and only if you if you like the place and that you're not able to to get to the next level, have those conversations. So first, soul searching. Talk to yourselves. Next, talk to some 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 of your mentors that may or may not be your manager. Next, if you know you're ready to make a move or you're highly considered making a move, um, try to connect with some some great people. Right, connect with if you're going to go the executive search route, go find a great local firm um, that knows your industry, that knows your vertical and domain and space, that they're an expert in that, in that space. You don't want to deal with you know, a bunch of guys that don't know what they're doing, they're pressing buttons, they're sending paper, they're interviewing you, they don't know what they're talking about. So make sure you're, you're connected to the right people. Next, if you do connect with that right people and you trust them, tell them everything. Don't hold back. Tell them what you like, dislike. Tell them what you want to do, what you don't want to do, the type of company you want to work for. Is it Fortune 500? Is it, is it a startup? Is it in the middle? Uh, you know, are you willing to take a step back to take two steps forward? Are you so stuck on a salary that it can't be anything less than that? Um, offer to meet them. You know, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish by just meeting people like I talked about. Um, keep it completely real. You know, share feedback every time you have an interview with a search firm, or or not, is give the feedback back. Say, hey, listen, I really like the company. Here's what they liked. Here's what I don't like. Here's why I don't think I should move forward. What do you think? I would say partner, partner with people on your search, um, and connect. Talk to them on the phone. Don't just go sending emails and texts and expect things to get done. That form of communication, I think, is strictly for. Simple stuff like, hey, can you send me the benefits package? Hey, I'm all set for 4 o'clock tomorrow. Hey, can you talk now? I truly believe you should be talking to people and meeting people to to truly make an impact. And finally, I would say ask a lot of questions. During your interview process, treat your process, even though the company is interviewing you, you have the right and frankly should interview them in what this place is such a good place to work. What challenges you guys face? Where do you see me fitting in? How can I make an impact? Where's the growth path? Ask the right question. So you don't go from a bad situation to a worse or an okay situation to okay. You want to, hey, hopefully not run away from something, but run to something, you know,
0: something great, hopefully. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, I love that advice that you give because, um, I think so many times, Uh, It's very easy to get caught up in how we feel in the moment and we make a rush decision. And as opposed to truly vetting out that process, right, having that honest, open discussion, you know, whether it's our family, the people, you know, where, as you mentioned, don't don't just work with an executive search firm, partner with them, you know, have that open dialogue so that they can basically be your mirror while your family's being your mirror, while, you know, the, you're you're being their mirror, right? And, and that way, when you land, whether you stay where you are or whether you move on, you've done it and you've built, you've done it with the right process in mind and you're not jaded as, you know, going into a new place and you haven't even fixed what was wrong with you in the last one. So I, I really like your insight there.
1: Absolutely. And that's, and we make sure that that's, that's communicated. I mean, we're not, you know, we don't win if the company and, and you don't win at the end of the day. It's, it's Both sides have to end up being better than they were. Uh, or what we do is va- in vain. You know, it's just it's just moving people around, making money and, eh, you know, not making an impact. And that's why I left the Fortune 500 company because I wanted to make a bigger impact than, than the one I was making.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, Avidus, this has been an Awesome experience. Thank you so much for uh, not only just giving of your time for our audience to hear from you today, but more importantly, I think it's important um, as I as I as I share with all of the CEOs I talk to. I'm appreciative of the the dedication that you've given to being a leader that not only others can follow, but that our audience can hear from, be able to understand a different perspective from. And then more importantly, um, I can tell from just from this conversation, uh, your your clients, uh, the the executives who come into your your talent pool are getting your heart in your passion uh with them from the moment of a hello all the way through to the fact that they're hired um and i just i you know i'm very appreciative of, of people like yourself who are willing to step up to the plate and say hey you know we're out here and we're trying to make a difference and we're not we're not just sitting on the sidelines uh but we really want to make a make you know make both parties happy at the end of the day so thank you so much for what you
1: do Thank you, Chris. You know, what's what's great about this interview? I felt like I left learning stuff from you as well. So I appreciate it. It's been great.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up another great episode, another great week, another great interview. Thanks to Avitas, Thanks to a higher cloud for what they are doing. Thank you as a listener for listening to the show. Thank you for giving us your time, your energy, your responses. And even though this week's episodes and interviews are over, I want you to continue the conversation with me. I would love to be able to hear from you. So a couple of ways I like to engage. If you're on LinkedIn, you can find me there. And what I would love for you to do is send me your feedback, send me your information. More importantly, how about share this information on LinkedIn, share it with your counterparts, let them know about the conversation, have them to participate as well. Also, if you're on social media, like many of us are, feel free. You can go to instagram facebook or twitter you can find us at the handle at high level wisdom all together you'll be able to find us you'll see our logo there or simply put if that doesn't work for you we've got the number one greatest thing on the planet a website so go to our website www.highlevelwisdom.com you can interact with us there share your comments share your thoughts you can also share all the episodes and listen to previous episodes as well now the following week that's coming up i want you guys to know that uh, this is going to be an awesome, awesome interview because the person we have coming up next week, you are going to want to strap in for. Make sure you tell your friends, make sure you tell your co-workers, your other executive friends, because the interview next week is going to be none other than Mike Zanni. Now, if you don't know who that is, that happens to be the CEO of the Predictive Index. So if you don't know about the predictive index, I promise you next week on Tuesday, you'll know all about it. Thank you guys so much for listening. I look forward to hearing you share more in the next episode.